you'll remain standing and open your Bible to Psalm 132. And we open it with that as our prayer that God would have his own way. The message this morning is titled, The Promises and Faithfulness of God. Reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to this dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, God, we are grateful, as always, for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for your spirit who fills us, who manifests your presence on the earth and especially in the church and who shines a light on this true and living word. And our prayer today, as always, is that you would open our eyes to see what we haven't seen, open our hearts to understand what we haven't understood, our ears to hear what we haven't heard, but that you desire today to cause us to see and to hear and to understand for our good always. Lord, you know every person in this room, every need on every heart. You know all the circumstances defining life for us right now and even those awaiting us days or weeks or months from now. And so with all of that in your view, we pray that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. And would you move me out of the way, God, and use my voice as yours this morning. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. In 
it may have dawned on you as we're reading, if you've been uh, with us for some time as we're going through this series on the Psalms of Ascents, actually just a couple of those uh, left here in this series, Psalm 134 is the last of those. But if you've been tracking along, it may have dawned on you or you may have wondered as we're reading, hmm, is this the longest Psalm of Ascents of all? And it is. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not an especially long chapter of the Bible um, and even a, not an especially long psalm, but the Psalms of Ascent tend to be uh, much shorter. This is actually the longest one and special in some other regards, perhaps. It's not attributed to any specific author, you may notice in your Bible, but, uh, and that's not unique. There are lots of psalms that don't have a particular author, author. but many think this one uh, may have been written by Solomon because of its mention of David, but then specifically, um, it sounds like it may anticipate the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. Uh, David wanted to build a temple, um, did sort of the capital campaign for the temple, <laughs> raised the money and that sort of thing, but Solomon was the one who would build it. And in verses eight through 10, there, there's sort of a prayer that, 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 again, sort of has a, a hint of the, uh, the, the bringing of the ark into the temple. He says, Arise, O Lord, in verse 8, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And one of the things that made Jerusalem the special place that it was was not just that it was the capital of Israel, but that it was the dwelling place of God in the temple. And so th this mention of arise, O Lord, go to your resting place. It is this long-awaited place for him to dwell permanently rather than dwelling in a tabernacle that moved about as the people had wandered you know, over the years. It's sort of a prayer here, in other words, in verse 8 through 10, that God would dwell there. And it's also sort of functionally like the bridge of this song for any musicians or, or maybe worship musicians who have known some of you know, the way worship songs are written sometimes, you might have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, or something like that, you know. And, the, and, and verses 8 through 10 are sort of the bridge between the first, the, the first seven verses and then the last eight verses. Um, but it's, I, I think, uh, important to sort of have that perspective on this as a prayer, regardless of who wrote it and when, this psalm made for a good ascent psalm because as they're journeying to Zion, they are rejoicing in this psalm that God chose Zion as his dwelling place. And that, even that is not unique to this psalm of ascent, but that's one of the things they rejoiced in and looked forward to as they, as they even looked to the hills as they approached the mountains, uh, that they would look knowing that's the dwelling place of God they're going up to that God had chosen Zion to be his dwelling place. And God's choice of Zion, as well as the psalmist's prayer, is rooted in God's covenant promises. This prayer that we just uh, took a glance at in verse 8, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. This prayer is rooted in the covenant promises of God. And this is what I want us to meditate on this morning. Prayers that are rooted in the covenant promises of God. Because sometimes uh, believers have desires or burden on their heart that part of them knows they ought to pray about, but they don't pray about. 
and they don't pray about it for a, for a variety of reasons. And again, I suspect this is common to every one of us at one time or another. You've been hesitant or hindered in your prayers, in your praying, because uh, maybe there's some part of you that doesn't believe it's really going to change anything. There's doubt in your heart as to whether the, the thing you're praying about is really going to come to pass, that God would answer that favorably. Maybe a part of you that thinks you don't really deserve God to answer favorably. Maybe because there's been sin in your life. Maybe because you've just been um, you know, spiritually lethargic, uh, not, not necessarily overtly sinful, just not actively obedient. And you just, again, there's something maybe at a, not even a real conscious level that just makes you think you're, you're not in the right position with God to be asking something of him and to have an answer uh, that's favorable toward you. And so we're just hindered in our praying or maybe don't pray at all about it. But Psalm 132 offers us uh, not necessarily a model, but an example of confident prayer in the covenant promises of God or, or, or confident prayer of the, of the covenant people of God. And that confident prayer, that, uh, that sort of guidance would be twofold. And this is what I want to consider this morning. You remind God of his promises, God will show you his faithfulness. You remind God of his promises, God will show you his faithfulness. And so I want to consider that this morning uh, from Psalm 132 here. This psalm actually has in, in mind or in sort of in the background, in view, uh, a word that God sent to David by way of Nathan the prophet. It was in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 12 through 16. If you can turn quickly, you can turn there while I take a sip of water. You hear the beautiful spring flowers in my voice this morning, don't you? But in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, it is said uh, previous to verse 12, prior to verse 12, it says, you know, that uh, about how David had desired to build a house for the Lord and this kind of thing. And he sends this word uh, by Nathan the prophet and says, beginning in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, when the stripes of the son of men, uh, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's the word God gave by Nathan the prophet to David and that's what's in sort of the background and even it's, it's referenced explicitly in this psalm. That's what the psalmist is referring to and so th this, is, this is important to understand because you'll notice that the psalmist here doesn't try to argue 
that he deserves something from God because of his own merit. He doesn't make an appeal to God on the basis of anything that he is or anything that he's done. He doesn't say how good he is. He, do, he doesn't say how much he loves God. He doesn't say anything about what the desires of his heart are uh, for whatever. He doesn't, you know, do as some of us will do sometimes in our prayer and try to, uh, try to convince God how much good we'll do in the world if he would just bless us with the thing that we're asking him for. Oh, Lord, your world would be so much better off if you answered this prayer for me. That's, by the way, the sort of manipulation we want to set aside. You won't find justification for that here or anywhere else. But, but the point is, he does not make his appeal to God on the basis of anything about who he is or what he's done or anything of the sort. He prays, look in verse 1, that God will remember favorably all of David's hardships and his heart to build God a dwelling place. That's what verses 1 through 4 essentially summarize. And then in verse, verses 11 through 12, look there. He reminds God of his promise. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which you'll not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. He's reminding him of this promise from 2 Samuel chapter 12. He appeals that God would, would remember favorably David and that he would remember his promise to David. Now, uh, and praying, I, I suppose, that uh, God would keep his promises by establishing the royal line of David and by establishing his dwelling place in Jerusalem. That's what you see in, uh, that's kind of the substance of Psalm 132 there. Um, establishing the royal line of David and, and establishing his dwelling place in Jerusalem. But here's the dots we need to connect, okay? Ultimately, Jesus would be the descendant of David who fulfilled this promise. Okay, so David is not just this character that we take inspiration from and that we try to follow his example or whatever. He's not, you know, the, the little 12-year-old boy that we want our boys to aspire to be, you know, go out there and do your chores. David, you know, he went out and tended the sheep. Go out and do your chores like David did or be a strong, courageous boy like David was. David foreshadows Christ himself. He prefigures Jesus, his throne, his kingdom foreshadows the kingdom that Christ would have. It's Christ that would be the fulfillment of this, of this promise. Now that's important to you and me, so hang on. It's early, I know, you hang on. But you remember even at the announcement of Christ's birth, this is this passage that we read frequently around Advent time, this announcement of Christ's birth in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, the angel appears to Mary and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his king, and to, of his kingdom there will be no end. Your son, Mary, uh, will sit on the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The descendant of David, who's, uh, David's who would reign forever, was Jesus himself. And so when we bring our need to the Lord in prayer, here it is, if you've been tuned out uh, until now, tune in. When we bring our need to the Lord in prayer, we should remind God of the promises that are ours in Christ. In Christ, not in our own deserving merit or whatever. The, the very thing that hinders you and I sometimes from praying is we don't think we're in the position to ask God for that. But see, we don't make our appeal to God on the basis of who we are. We make our appeal to God on the basis of who Jesus is. The promises to us are ours because we are in Christ and all the promises that are made to him. So as we see in verse 1, that the psalmist asked God to remember in David's favor, his hardships, how much more, how much more do we have ground to ask God to remember in Christ's favor, for Christ's sake, his hardships, his suffering, his sacrifice, the payment, the penalty, that he made for us. And we, when, we come, when we come to God in prayer in Jesus' name and when we pray for Christ's sake, that is not just cheap language. That we, we possess as his people what it is his by covenant promise of God. And so some of us may hesitate uh, a bit at the notion of reminding God of his promises. That seems somehow a little rude, especially for us nice southern people. You know, it seems maybe a little bit too demanding or impertinent or whatever. But this isn't about presumption or manipulation. And, you know, again, we, we, learned, how, we learned how to manipulate other people from a very early age, right? How even to... Um, to, you know, to, to talk to our parents that way. We had, we had a funny little exchange about our little uh, grandson who's five years old, and I won't tell you the whole story, but he's actually quite good at that manipulation already. You know, he knows how to, he knows how to turn the emotion up and down and then, and then go to close the deal, whatever it is that he wants, <laughs> you know? So we, we know how to do that, and we know, we know what that looks like and sounds like to other people. That is absolutely not the way we, we should presume to pray. But also, we shouldn't be hindered uh, in our uh, almost impertinent, insistent, uh, uh, persevering prayer, holding on to the promises of God and reminding God of his promises because it's not about presumption or manipulation. It's a statement of our confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. 
You see, reminding God persistently of his promises is for our benefit, not his. Moving us to greater and greater degrees of, of, of faith, he will do what he said he will do. And so you think about the promises that are certain for the believer in Christ Jesus. And some of them that we really need to hold on to. We talk, to a, we talk about these things sometimes in just abstract Sunday school kind of ways. Like we memorize the verses and we can quote them or whatever, but, um, but, but we don't have a firm grip on them when we need them necessarily. But think about the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. First of all, things like Acts 16.31 that says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I tell you what, the longer you go on as a believer, the more likely there are going to be times where you wonder if you're really saved. But believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, and, and he, will, he will keep you secure in his hand. No one will snatch you out of his hand. A promise from John chapter 10. He will finish the work that he began in you. Philippians 1.6. He will return having departed to prepare a place for you. He'll prepare a place. He'll come back to take you to that place. All of that we have security in. But here's the other part of Acts 16.31. If you keep reading that verse, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts uh, 2, 38 and 39 made a similar statement. When, at, when uh, Peter first preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost and they say, what shall we do to be saved? And he tells them, repent, believe, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. And then he says uh, in verses 38 and 39 that the promise is for you and for your children. The promise is for you and for your children. Now, here's what we know. That is not any absolute guarantee that every one of our children is going to come to faith in Christ. But what it is, is an assurance and a reminder that the way God ordinarily works in perpetuating his covenant on the earth is through families. That is one of the ordinary ways that God works is through families generation after generation after generation. And I would say that is a good, of all the promises we might uh, want to cling to today, here's a pretty good one from Mother's Day, isn't it? That as we pray for our children as we did Friday night here at, uh, at that worship night, and as we know that, that many of us, if you've got, well, if you've got children, you're praying for them. If you've got grown children, you're praying for them a little more earnestly than you did. All the other years, right? Praying differently than you did even when they were under your roof. 
This is a good Mother's Day promise to cling to. The promise is for you. All the promises, listen. All of the things that we would say, Lord, remember Jesus favorably. Not David. Remember the true and better David, Jesus Christ himself. Remember him for his sake. Lord, I remind you of your promises and the promises are for you and for your children. And there are many of us who probably need to hold on to that promise as we pray like, like riding a rodeo bull. Right? Where, where life is tossing you around like you're having a hard time even believing. This is one of those prayers. You're having a hard time believing that God's going to answer that favorably because it seems so far out of, you know how far out of reach it is for you. And in your head, you know it's not, out, it's not too far out of reach of God, for God, but just it's, it's hard to believe it's going to happen. And all about life is convincing you it's not going to happen. It is, it's very the opposite of what you're praying for going on at the moment. And life is tossing you around like you're riding a bull. But hold on to the promises of God. Even as you're just being flung about by life and its circumstances. Hold on to the promises of God and remind God of his promises. Because not only are those things about our, our salvation and our eternal future true, that he is preparing a place and will come for us, but in the meantime, he promises to give us wisdom if we ask. James 1, 5, the promises to give the peace of God that passes all understanding if we pray in all things. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He promises to provide a way out of temptation for those besetting sins that trip us up one time after another. God promises to provide a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. To supply all of our needs. Uh, Philippians 4, 19 as well as uh, Matthew 6, the whole passage there seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you he'll take care of your needs he promises in Hebrews 13 5 never to leave us or forsake us now those those promises you can have absolute assurance of those are yours in Christ Jesus. Remind God of them and remind him again and remind him again and hold on to the promises of God. Even as life tosses you about, even as life tells you from every angle it's not gonna happen. As the enemy would try to whisper in your ear or even shout and discourage you, it's not gonna happen. Hold on to the promises of God and remind God of his promises, as we do, God will show you his faithfulness. God will show you his faithfulness. Verse 11 says, in reference to this promise, that God, uh, the Lord swore to David a sure oath 
from which he will not turn back. And then you look down at verses 14 through 17. There are several I will statements from God. I will dwell uh, here in Jerusalem. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. I will make a horn to sprout for David. I will. I will. God says. It is impossible for God to lie. This is why we can be absolutely certain that God will show you his faithfulness. You remind God of his promises, he will show you his faithfulness because he cannot lie. Hebrews 6, uh, 17 and 18 said, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He swore an oath and he cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. If he said it, if he promised it, he will be faithful because he cannot be otherwise. He cannot be otherwise. Let's see, we know all about making promises that we break, right? Or having promises made to us that people break. We know even as parents, perhaps, when we carelessly, you know, tossed one out there because we didn't think we'd ever be, you know, that it would, we'd ever have to cash in or that our kids would ever cash in. But, Daddy, you said if I made all A's on my report card, you'd get me a pony. <laughs> I never did that, by the way. But. And you said, oh, yeah, I, I, I know, honey, but uh, things changed. What changed is you made all A's. I didn't think you were going to make all A's. And I thought about it for five minutes and realized I don't want a pony in the yard. But see, we know, we know the experience on both sides of that, right? Of, of, of reneging on promises, of not having, of, of really overstating, even maybe it was earnest. Like we really want we, we really mean it when we promise it. We really want to deliver on it. And then we realize it's outside of our control to do so sometimes. Later, we're just unable to. So we know that experience of letting down and being let down by broken promises. It is impossible for God to lie. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself, it says in 2 Timothy 2.13. And I know without question, without question right now, today, there are many of us here in the room with some burden of prayer. Maybe that we've been half-hearted and even bring it before the, before the Lord in prayer. Because we're, you know, we're just not confident that we deserve a favorable answer for him because we doubt it's, it's really going to be a favorable outcome for us for whatever reason. But we, we all have uh, needs and burdens, deep desires that we know ought to be matters of prayer for us. That somehow we're hindered in persistent, confident praying for. 
And maybe again at the top of the list would be prayers for our family, our children, uh, our siblings, other loved ones. And that might be the, the promise today that you need to latch hold of and say, God, there's, there's a lot I don't understand about what's going on. There's a lot that seems quite impossible to me. But Lord, you promised, remember, remember the promises you made to your people in Christ Jesus. Remind him of his promises. He will show you his faithfulness. Hold on to him even as life bucks you off. He is faithful and he cannot be otherwise. Let's pray. God, we take such great comfort in the fact that you are good, your mercy endures forever, that you are light and there is no darkness in you at all. Then there's not a shadow of turning. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your years never come to an end. And Lord, indeed, even as we are faithless people, you are faithful because you can't deny yourself. Lord, we are so thankful for that. And God, we bring before you even now in our hearts those prayers that you've stirred up in our uh, thoughts e even this morning, those things that we, that, that we, that, that we care deeply about that matter greatly to us. That if we were brought before you personally and, and asked, what do you want me to do for you? As Jesus did to blind Bartimaeus. We know exactly what we would ask. And so God, we ask it now. Would you stir up the faith of your people this morning? Would you remind us of promises, specific promises? that give us confidence, Lord, in the very thing that we would bring before you in prayer. And we do make our appeal in the name of Jesus and for his sake, because of what he has done, not because of what we have done, because he, who he is, not because of who we are. And we praise you because you have made us your very own through his sacrifice. So Lord, even now as we respond, would you hear the prayers of your people? I, I pray you would take us to a deeper place of passion even in our praying. And I pray there would be some, before we leave even, who would have just a word of assurance from, from your spirit in just a still small voice that you hear that you will answer favorably because you are certain to demonstrate your faithfulness. Meet with us now, we ask in Christ's name, amen.